Good morning, everybody. It is really good to be back. Can't believe how fast time went by. Uh, we had quite the adventure out in Colorado, but we're glad to be back with, with you and being able to serve with the Lord. And so we'll, I'll share some of that, uh, some of those adventures with you here down the road. Uh, I'll have some pictures and I've got some, some uh, teaching that I want to incorporate into some of those adventures. One of them I'm working on is called Risk Versus Reward. We'll tell you about that later on, but it uh, has to do a lot of our, with our hiking, so uh, I'll tell you about that later. But it, um, I've been working on a bunch of random uh, classes. Um, we'll get back into uh, where I left off on the tabernacle. You'll recall, I think we were up about 24 lessons into it. I think we have six to eight more, so... Um, I plan to pick those back up sometime probably in early December. But for now, I've just got some random things I'm going to be teaching on, and one of them here has been laying on my heart for a while, and I, I think you're going to find it interesting. Um, it's uh, certainly insightful and, and uh, probably going to be helpful to everybody here. So before we get into it, um, let me just get you started here. We're going to be out of the book of, uh, let me make sure I got this, we all said here, yep. Oh, you never know. And was there something here not working? Okay. Uh, so we're going to be out of uh, 2 Kings uh, 22, 23, and 24. We're, I'll have all these verses up here for you. So, But uh, before we get into this, uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you've gathered us together as your people. Thank you for bringing us here safely. Thank you for the folks that have, uh, though, though they've uh, incurred damage to their homes and lost material possessions, we thank you, Lord, you've kept them safe. And Lord, we, we love you and we thank you for your, your mercy. We pray for those folks, Lord. We give them strength, encourage them. Lord, help them through this difficult time. Help us to be a help to them and to serve them in whatever way we can, especially those who are our neighbors, Lord, who may not know you. May we have an opportunity to witness and testify for you. We thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. We pray that you'll use it this morning. Edify us as your people. Strengthen us, Lord, in the, in the work and the will of God. We pray that Christ will be lifted up and our worship may be acceptable in thy sight. May you help us, Lord, through the Spirit of God. As we look to you, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a verse that has that uh, stuck out to me quite a bit. And if I can find it, oh boy, why is this? Oh boy, there's a lot of changing, brother. All right, let me read it to you. In 2 Kings, chapter 23, 25, this is referring to King Josiah. And it says, and like unto him was there no king before him. And he turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. When I read that verse, I found it profound. Because we talk about David all the time. And yet, the word says there was no king like before him and after him. I thought this is worthy of our, our study and our attention. What did Josiah do? And who was this man that God made a statement that profound about 
an individual. And so you got a, a little background on, on, on Josiah. Uh, he reigned from 739 to uh, 608 B.C., so 31 years was his reign. He started to reign as king at eight years old. When he became 16, there's an indication in Scripture, uh, in, in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, I believe, or 35, that says that he began to seek after the God of David his father. So it, it indicates to me that he began, that he got saved at age 16, he trusted in the Lord, and his life began to change because at age 20, four years later, in his reign of 12 years, he began to really clean house in Israel. You got to understand, he's cleaning house without a knowledge, a true knowledge of Scripture or the Word of God. We'll get to that. It's really important. And by the age of 26, something radical happens in his life. Oh, good, brother. Thank you. Okay. Good to know. Technology, man. So, so at age 26, something radical, we're going to look at all this, changes in his life. Now, of course, 16, and then at age 20, he's cleaning house. By 26, something really changes. And then, of course, at age 39, 31 years later from the time he became king, he dies in the battlefield. And he's quite the character that we need to, we need to really pay attention to. His father was Ammon who was a wicked king, by the way. He had a short term as king. But prior to that, his grandfather, Manasseh, it's really important. We're, at some point, we're going to get to that and how important Manasseh was that he had to fix all the problems that Manasseh left. But Manasseh, his grandfather, reigned for 55 years and did wickedness like no other king. And this is the southern tribe, by the way. And so he, he ends up cleaning the mess that his grandfather left. What I found amazing about this is that he had a grandfather and a father who was wicked and ungodly and hated God, and yet this boy turns out to be godly. And yet we read in Scripture about godly men like David who end up with evil children, like Absalom. And Solomon didn't fare too well in the end either, did he? So you start reading about that, it, there is no silver bullet. People can be godly parents, love the Lord, and their children turn out bad. And the opposite, you could have really bad parents and turn out to love God and do great things for God. There's a great, there's a great lesson in this from King Josiah who turned out to be the greatest king that we can tell of in Scripture based on God's statement that there was no king before him nor after him. So I really think this is a, a great study for us. And so a little background of White. Okay, this, we get to repeat this again. Oh, boy, this isn't working. Okay, brother, you're going to have to click it for me. It's not working. Sorry, folks. You clicking it? Go ahead. Go ahead and click it. Keep clicking. Keep going. All right. All right. There's his reign. 31 years. Next slide. Okay. So, judgment. Stop there. Judgment is headed to the southern kingdom. Now, King Josiah doesn't know this yet. So, I'm just giving you a head start here. 
judgment is headed by God. This judgment's going to be really serious. You have to understand now, the northern tribes, the ten tribes, this have been in apostasy now for, for some time that God brought judgment into, their, into that nation in 722 B.C. when he had the Assyrians go in and take them captive. So they've been wiped out. They're basically scattered. They've been taken captive. But now that judgment is moving toward the southern kingdom under King Josiah. It's really important to understand that. That's a key part of this entire teaching. Judgment is coming. Now keep that in mind. But we're going to find out as we go to the next slide, the next verse, judgment is delayed. The question is why is that judgment delayed? And that's going to be an important part of our study. Josiah, judgment's coming, he's going to find out, but that judgment ends up being delayed. Following him are four more kings that will come into, into place. All four turn out to be wicked kings. And in the next slide, in 586, God uses Nebuchadnezzar as the vessel of wrath to go into the southern kingdom, destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem, and take God's people captive. Now, Nebuchadnezzar turns out, by the way, to be a type of Antichrist. Interesting that Pastor brought that up this morning. Because if you study Nebuchadnezzar, you can learn a lot about the Antichrist. The future king that is coming on the earth that will claim to be God. Nebuchadnezzar is that type of individual. And he goes in and he literally wipes out God's people. And we read about it in the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Nebednego. We talk about the three men in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar setting up the worship uh, to be worshipped like God. All that is found in the book of Daniel, but that's the judgment that takes place in 586. And so this is all coming Josiah's way. He doesn't know it yet. But what we're going to do is study about a man, Josiah, that did right because it was right to do right. He did right despite all the circumstances. And that's really key. This, is, this will really help God's people. I really, this has really been a help to me too, especially in light of what we're facing in our country. And we're going to get into all that. I have some challenging questions for us. Let's see if I can get this thing to move. And it won't. Okay, brother, keep going. So, oh, really? All right. Sometimes I wonder if we just do away with PowerPoint. I'm not kidding. Just get up here and let it rip. I mean, I want to go back to the old days where I didn't have to sit here and... Yeah. All right, Josiah, a man who did right because it was right to do. And he spent years cleaning up the ungodly mess of his grandfather Manasseh, like Manasseh, like I mentioned. And what happens at age 26, he decides to go in and repair the temple. So he gets with Hilkiah... The high priest says, go in there, let's get the temple repaired. And in the process, the book of the law, most likely Deuteronomy, is discovered. Now that should be profound to you. If it's discovered, then that means it was missing. It wasn't around. So all those years, Manasseh and Ammon, and prior to the kings before that who did wicked, there was no word of God anywhere. I just, it baffles me. 55, 57 years, 
and no word of God, possibly. And all of a sudden, the high priest discovers, and he writes, I have found the book of the law. And you got to keep in mind, so no scripture's been around. No priest, no king, the common people, it wasn't in circulation. And, and, and Josiah, so whatever he was doing to clean up the mess prior to hearing this at age 26, because he started at age 20, prior to hearing this, he must have heard it as it was passed down by faithful servants of God. People that loved God, believed God, but didn't have the copy of scriptures in hand, and they were willing to share that with Josiah. So jo Josiah certainly was influenced. It just doesn't talk about who influenced him, but he certainly was influenced, and, he, and, he, and it changed him, and he, and he made a move. I'm, I'm thinking about Amos chapter 8. The Bible says, Behold, the days cometh, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but a famine of hearing of the words of the Lord. Could we be in that time in America? Now I know this is a faithful folks. The folks outside these walls, it's getting ugly. I'm talking about churches that open their doors every day. They're not paying attention to this book. That tells me there may be a famine in the land. So there's a lot of, as we go through this study, I want you to try to tie parallels with what we're reading, with what America is or where America is and our, and our world is today. These are going to be amazing parallels. Perhaps that's why I'm teaching on it. So, go ahead, brother. The responsible just by Josiah upon hearing the word is the following. And we're going to get into this in detail, but watch. It came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, there was a response, and that response was that he rent his clothes. As you know, that's taking, you know, tearing it because of, of great grief and, and, and regret and hurt and pain of knowing what they've done against the Lord God. So he hears it, and he responds in a way that's profound. In the next uh, verse, or next comment, the nation has violated, is what he hears, has violated the word of God. Remember, he's reading Deuteronomy. So if you read the next one in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you spend any time reading that, the blessings of God for obedience and the curses of God for disobedience. Now that's another area where every believer ought to be meditating on because the parallels with what's happening with the curses that God brings are parallels we're seeing in today's world and with America especially. But he hears the word of God. He rents his clothes. He knows we violated the word of God. Judgment is imminent. And, and, he, and so what he wants to do is find out what does this mean? So he hires, or he hires, he requests a consultant who's Huldua, Hulda, the prophetess. And the message she gives is dire. It's not good. This is the message. Because they have forsaken me, have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be kindled. Now watch this. Against this place. That's what he's heard. That's why he rent his clothes. And he says, and shall not be quenched. God's given him an ultimatum. It's coming. Now, those are words you never want to hear. There's no turning back. So 
I, I think of that words, those words, and shall not be quenched, the words of Christ. When he taught in Mark chapter 9 about hell, three times he said, and the fire shall never be quenched. And the fire shall never be quenched. What he said, he meant it. It's a shame today that hell has become a place of air conditioning and not even an existent, a place of uh, a void of God, yes, true, but never about torment, never about eternal fire, never about, Jesus said, a fire shall never be quenched. God said, my wrath is coming, it's coming hard, and it shall not be quenched. That is some serious words that he has heard as king and I think we hear the same words coming from God's prophets or his preachers, and people are turning a deaf ear thinking, well, it's been the same. Yeah, we've been hearing that forever. So in the next slide, judgment is coming. The line has been drawn. There's no turning back. The nation has gone too far for too long. You wonder how we're getting away with what we're getting away with. We'll get to that. The judgment of God is inevitable, and by the way, it's immutable. This, this prophecy of judgment that's coming is not going to change one bit under Josiah. It's coming. You guys have gone. Someone said this. It's a dollar, it's a, a day late and a dollar short. It's too late. You can't change it. Imagine if that's the message we heard from God. But there's absolutely nothing you, Josiah, can do about it. Nobody. And this is what we have to start thinking about. Consider the circumstances Josiah is facing. Don't, don't go to the next yet. A prophecy of judgment is coming no matter what he does. If that's the message that you and I were to receive from God, what would you do? Okay? Would you live for God? Now, be careful answering that. Please. I'll explain why in a minute. Would you stop caring? My immediate response is, of course I'm going to love God. Of course I'm going to live for God. Of course I'm going to care for God. I mean, come on. Be careful. Because I always think of Peter and the Peter syndrome. Lord, I'll go to prison for Thee I'll even go to death for thee. Well, we all know how that worked out for Peter. Satan sifted him as wheat, but Jesus had been praying for him that he would be converted and get things right. And we know Peter finished well, but Peter's pride said, I, of course I'll live for God. Of course I'll care for God. It's more like, God, help me to live for you. Help me to love you. Help me to obey you. I can't do it without you. I'll be an absolute failure. And if the circumstances get dire, I may be so weak, I could fall just like Peter. So Josiah is facing these kind of questions. I'm king. Judgment's coming. There's no turning back. The wrath of God's coming. Should I live for God? Should I just stop caring? Those are really profound questions we have to ask. So think about it. No matter what you do, is not going to change the outcome. But for Josiah, he decided to do right because it was right to do. He did right 
because it was right to do no matter what circumstances were coming. So in 2 Kings chapter 23, in verses 1 through 3, Josiah takes action. And this is wonderful. So he hears the word, rents his clothes, and he takes action. He doesn't sit back and contemplate, what should I do? He gets to action right away. We better do something about this. Now remember, it's not going to change God's mind. Or at least we think. So, he gathers the entire nation together. This is awesome. I mean, he, he says the leaders, the king, the priests. He said the common people. You bring everybody. You got to hear what God has to say. Well, when I read that, I thought about my conversion. And I thought about all of ours. When we first got saved, think about how we responded to what we heard and discovered about God, his love for us. We, we trusted in Christ. We were sealed with the Spirit. We may not have understood that, but we know He saved us from our sin. We know He did the work for us. It was by grace, through faith. We, and we, we couldn't get more excited. But what did we do? We told family. That's the first we went to, family, if we didn't have saved family. Then we went to our friends. We went to strangers. Now we found out the hard way, not everybody's as receptive about your excitement as you are. And we tend to be a little bit more quiet over time. We get a little bit more sophisticated. But boy, when you first get saved, you know this is the excitement Josiah's experienced. Now, he's already saved, but he hears the word of God. He says, you've got to hear this, what God says about us. And it changes the nation. It's not just Josiah that gets changed. It changes the, the entire nation. You never know what God's going to do. So God, give us a voice to speak up for him. May God help us with that. There's great lessons in here. So here we find out that's the first thing he wants everybody to hear, the Word of God. In verse 3 of 2 Kings 23, the people agreed. They entered into the covenant with him. They said, we agree with you. They've heard the Word. They were convicted by it. Like him, they responded with, with a heartfelt desire to do what's right for God. Josiah decides to do right no matter what the outcome is. There's a lesson for us. We are, we, we are responsible to love God, obey God, and honor God no matter what the circumstances are in life. That's what God calls us to do, and Josiah is the perfect example in the Old Testament of what it means to obey in word and deed. Because the boy's going to take action like you've never seen. Now, he's already been taking action doesn't, based on hearsay of the word, people passing it down. Now he hears the word, judgment's coming, and he puts things in an accelerated uh, action step, and he cleans house like you would not believe. And there are 12 action steps that he's going to take that we're going to read, we're going to try to summarize some of them, and they're fascinating what he does that changes the nation under his leadership. and moves God. So, with all that said, there's a practical lesson. What if our economy tanks? And by the way, it's not doing too well. It's a really mixed bag, financially, uh, spiritually, um, governmentally. It's a mess. I, 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 I've never seen it like, I mean, 
Granted, some of you folks have been around a little longer than me, had a little bit more experience. This is, this is bad. But what if our economy tanks? Now think about what he's facing and what we face. Next, what if we're persecuted for our faith, hate crimes? We haven't really got there yet, but we're getting close. What if our job is at risk because of faith? Now, for those of you who are still working, there's a lot of us who are retired, but still, I, I was on the verge just when I was moving out of the company, wokeism was taking over. And what I mean by that, this all this idea of inclusivity, diversity, and equity, and all this stuff, there's a lot of good things. In fact, the church has been that, has been that way for, for a lot, the churches that are right with God. But the, what they're trying to tell you is that, that there's a... There's really, it's not about Christianity. That If you try to take a stand for Christianity, you're going to be opposing a lot of other things. And that's not tolerated, in the, in the, at least in the public arena. So people's jobs are at risk because of their faith now, like more than ever. You speak up, get ready. You, there's a, there might be a real price to pay. So with all that in mind, will we still love God and serve Him even though it may cost us our job, our family, our friends? reputation, our finances. How many of you have lost or have separated from a family member because you took a stand for, the, for God? It's a horrible thing to experience, but people do. And remember, it's always right to do right for God. Josiah did, and that's what we're, we're learning here. So, in the next slide, look at Josiah's response to the Word of God. It's priceless. In 2 Kings, Chapter 22, we read a little bit about this, but here's the detail. His heart was tender. He responded to God with a tender heart. A lot of people hear the Word of God, and they just walk away. They don't hear it. They hear it, but they don't hear it. You know? And, and here, his heart was tender, which allowed God to really break him. And because of that breaking, he humbled himself. And then we see that he... His response was out of that rending his clothes and weeping before God. Reminds me of Peter. You know, just broken because of his denial of the Savior he loved. He loved Christ. Christ knew that. But in his weakness of his flesh, he walked in the flesh, and he was broken, and he responded the same way. And that does something to God when that stuff is real. And it was real with Josiah. And it, it sounds familiar to me because in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if my people, not, not, the, not the U.S., not the American citizens, my people, called by my name, humble themselves. They pray, they seek my face, they turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. So we see his response like ours should be when we know judgment is coming. Now the next portion is what was radical about this because Josiah, judgment was inevitable, immutable, not changing. But what's about to change is the timing of God's judgment. The judgment was coming under King Josiah, but because of his response, it moved God. I didn't know it was really possible to move God, but it is. And that response by Josiah moved God's judgment from the time of his reign to 586 B.C., four kings later. And God put up with four more wicked kings before he judged. Man, you talk about mercy. So here, 
he says, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, thou shalt be gathered into the grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. You're not going to see it, Josiah. So God changed his mind. He moved God. Now there's only one other that I remember moving God. It was Moses. When God said, Moses, stand aside, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to take Israel out. And Moses says, whoa, 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 hold on, God. Before you do that, just remember, you are the one who brought us out into this place. What are all the nations going to think about you if you get rid of Israel? And God said, you know what? I think I'll just hold off on that judgment. He moved God because of his meekness, his humility. And so God can be moved by the response of God's people. It's not the, not the U.S. because something tragic happens and people are weeping and crying. It's because of God's people seriously humbling themselves. So, if I was told that no matter what I do as a pastor, as a Christian, as a citizen, a good citizen, and it, that it won't change the outcome, no matter what, then I might do the following. And I thought about, this is a list of things I I'm potentially could end up doing. First of them is coast from here on out. You think a lot of Christians are doing that today? It takes, it takes sacrifice to serve, doesn't it? It really does. But isn't, isn't the sacrifice of Christ worth our sacrifice? I have to remind myself, by the way, of that. I get just as lazy as anybody else. I want just as much free time as anybody else. But sometimes that turns into me time all the time instead of God time. And so we start hearing about, man, judgment's coming. The world is just a mess. I mean, we got Putin talking about nukes now. We got uh, our leader, our president, talking about the potential of nukes. This is getting real. God's people better wake up and realize this could happen like that. Life could change for all of us, just like that. And so I think about it. That's these things are coming, they're on us. We hear about the finances, the potential collapse. We have $31 trillion in debt. You just pile, pile this stuff on. You think, at some point, God said, enough is enough. So as a pastor or as a, as a Christian, and I, knowing that this isn't going to change, it's only going to get worse because that's what the Bible tells us, then maybe I'm just going to coast on from here on out. Or I'm going to get angry and be bitter about life. Or I'm just going to get discouraged and walk around depressed all the time. Or I'm going to become cynical. Or I'm going to become, just live for myself, and I'm going to live it up. Now, there are Christians that have taken that and gone that route, unfortunately. And so why live for God? And these are questions that I'm not saying, yeah, let's think this way, but this is how people think. Why live for God if it won't change the outcome? I mean, everything we do, less and less people make it, not get saved. I mean, less and less people are getting saved. Christians are not getting better. They're falling away. So why live for God if it won't change the outcome? Why live for God if it's not going to be rewarded? This is, the, this is the test every Christian, thank you, every Christian faces. Throughout the history, this is the test. And how are we going to respond when things are against you? And I won't go any further than this, but God's faithful always, like Josiah, do right because it's right to do.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to sit under your word. We pray that you will use it, Lord, to, uh, Lord, to help us uh, to be a faithful group, a people that will be humble and tender toward your word and toward your will. And we pray that, you, God, you'll help us despite the circumstances. We know there's a lot of evil in the world, but dear God, uh, when the darkness gets darker, we as your Christians, as light, get lighter. Help us, dear God, to, to be the light for Jesus Christ through his power and through his, his love for us as we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.